Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Avoid legal snags, Jason. I'm telling you right now that you are currently being recorded. I acknowledge that fact and give you permission to use it as you see fit, but no one else. I don't don't want to end up in a legal snag. I heard those are very tough to escape, like Alcatraz. So the Alcatraz of snags. (laughs) That's a very understated British way of describing Alcatraz prison. Oh, it's a bit of a snag. It seems it seems we've uh, excuse me, Mister Mister Dustin Hoffman. It seems we've ended up in a bit of a snag. What's Look, what? I'm <laughs> well, it, well, it seems, Mister Hoffman, we we are in Alcatraz. Oh, well, I'm Dustin Hoffman. This is very silly, but the fact is, folks, we don't have a guest today. I I deeply wanted to get a guest. I was going. I was, Looking through my uh, my ethereal rolodex, yeah, to come in, and nobody was answering. I, I did so many seances over the past week. Jason, I don't understand. Like you were like every that's your only thing I ask you to do is just book the guests. That's that's the part of the show. It's under your under your guidance. And I mean, I, I want to take responsibility. I blame myself. I haven't been feeling great this week. I've had this weird pain kind of inside me, and oh. it's oh, it's actually I'm starting to kind of feel it right now. It's mm. oh no, are you okay? Oh. Uh, just, just give me a second. Jason? Hello, Brent. Oh, no. Do you know who it is? Oh, no! Say it. Yes? Yes, say it. Say it, Brent. It's history's greatest monster, Daniel Day-Lewis! And I have completed... Well, I may have said this the last time I was on, but I have completed now my most... Perfect performance. Uh, wait a second. Hold on a second. Yeah. Tell me you weren't Jason this whole time. Again. Well, I mean, when one thinks about what is all of time, it's oh. it's been quite a while, I will say. It's, it's been quite amazing. I wasn't always in control, you see, but sometimes I was. I've inhabited his spirit, you see, because I'm dead. Um, because I'm I, sorry. You, you're. I'm sorry. You're. You're dead. Yes. I didn't want to make a big deal about it. Oh. I didn't want to. I didn't want to set anybody off, and I didn't want my enemies to know the history's greatest monster had died. But I'm okay. still alive, Brendan, in spirit oh, and in Jason. God. So, how long have you been Jason again? Well, what is what is time to a ghost, Brendan? Oh boy, what is time? Seriously, uh-huh. what is time? I don't know. It's, I'm a ghost. Yeah, I have no sense of it anymore. 
I, it would take a very long time for me to explain it, Mr. Day-Lewis. All right. Well, you enjoyed that movie last week I was in. Then. Uh, we we did, and you were great in it. And now I'm, As, I'm regretting saying you. all those kind words about you. Well, I, I had to do this. Uh, I, I don't intend to stay in this form much longer. I have okay. the entire universe to see. I tell you, you know, being dead has been an exquisite experience. Mm. And I fully intend to return and be in a movie. But I wanted to tell you, I found an answer. Okay. You want to know? So many people over life have said so many things. But there's only one man that was right. Uh-huh. So I highly suggest you check out the writings of L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, no. I met no. him as he no. was traveling the universe, you see. No. And no, no. he had a lot of, a lot of good points. And no, he no. Uh, signed me up for a service oh. where I'm sending some of my inheritance every week. And Daniel, uh, he's teaching no. me some things. No, don't do it. It's a trap. You might say I'm going up a bridge. Oh, a bridge too far, Daniel. But I just wanted you to know, Brendan. I just wanted you to know personally that I'm capable of anything. And I want you to just think about that. And I wish you to remain in fear. Do you understand? I'm terrified of you all the time. All the time. Good. Then I must depart. I wish you all the best. Good luck. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, oh, uh, no. oh, shit. It- oh, Okay. Oh, I feel like I, I was lonely on a long distance run. Oh, oh what no. Jason, wait, did you do you even get the reference you just made, or was that Daniel Day Lewis? I, I, I don't even know. Where have I been? What day is it? Oh my god. It... What's the last movie you remember watching for this podcast? Oh Jesus, it was so long ago. Uh, I mean, I think. I don't know. Time has no meaning. What was that one? Uh where Alec Guinness, uh he was in a heist. Uh Okay, it was, so it was so, old ladies. So, there was old ladies. The lady killers? Yeah, that must have been it. Okay, well, you know what, Jason? I'm going to refresh you on everything, and you're going to be right back to normal. stormed the white house no uh, capitol building no that wasn't that well that was in the deleted scenes oh okay yeah yeah i yeah, like yeah, that yeah. part i must have seen that on youtube <laughs> yeah it was a good british film um but jason it's weird that you also had the exact same opinions um as daniel day lewis once again history's greatest monster dying when we didn't even know he passed away i didn't even know he was sick and he took over your body but we haven't heard from him so i mean he could be dead so, Jason, I mean, I'm glad you're back uh, after that terrifying ordeal. Um, I'm glad to be back. What uh, what movie did we did we watch? <laughs> we watched a film. Well, I mean, we need to introduce the podcast first. I'm Brendan. Okay. I'm Jason. Thank I, God. I mean, I I, really, I really hope you're not still Daniel Day Lewis. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we never know. And this is a podcast called For Screen. That's right. And on this podcast, we talk about the 
British Film Institute's Top 100 British Films of All British Time, as composed in the British year of 1990 British 9. Again, as we've said, the only British movies were made prior to 1999. Anything else after is legal. Illegal, yes. You were actually hung for making a British movie after 1999. That is why you never hear from Edgar Wright anymore. And that's why we are taking such a risk when we do our uh, Now for Something Completely Similar series and watch illegal, supposedly, allegedly British films. Well, and that's um, why we call it that, because we're, we're, we're avoiding a lot of legal, illegality, sir. That's right. Out here in the colonies, uh, law is it's, it's very difficult to find. Uh, right. It's chaos, it's anarchy, but we make do. Anarchy in the UK, you might say. No, no, it's it's anarchy in 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 the colony. In oh, this case, okay. Okay. Canada. Canada, yes. Canada is the British like to say. Canada. Um. So, uh, and and Jason, I want to tell you right now, this is our seventieth movie that we're doing wow. off this list. We are we are seventy deep with this movie. So you might uh, say this is sort of our diamond jubilee. Yes, you could say that. Yeah. Wow. And I, you just did. I did. So, uh, but before we talk about this week's film, we have to talk, we have to read some comments from last week's movie, the Merchant Ivory classic, A Room with a View. A Room with a View. A Room with a View. A Room with a View that you can see out of and get a nice view outside of your room with that view. A Room with a View, Brendan. A movie with some comments comments well jason here is your favorite name to say so i'm gonna say it uh our first comment is from andrew littlefield ah our classic commenter uh he says i love the way it looks the story is simple but wonderfully told i only wish that they had the guts to leave in the anti-religious part of the book still an excellent adaptation they had a little bit of anti-religion right well it didn't seem like it it, did it it seemed kind of wry questioning religion yeah or at least you know like the priests weren't necessarily treated with the utmost like reverence uh in the film (laughs) (laughs) so they were like bi-religious sure religious that's that's curious they, they they did show a man of the cloths wang that's pretty pro-religion as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like our Lord and Savior, I also have a way. <laughs> Listen, if my, if my priest got a dick like that, I'm a Christian. Here's cheers. <laughs> you have a bottle and I have a can. It didn't work. Thank you, Andrew. As always. Mm-hmm. And, your, and your little field. Our next comment comes from gold tier, platinum level, top star commenter Sharon Horwat. Oh, five stars. Absolutely. And Sharon says, I definitely remember watching it, but I don't remember much about it. I do remember loving how snobbishly Daniel Day-Lewis is at points during the movie. Oh, I agree. And also how young all of these actors I love looked at the time. Seriously, Helena Bonham Carter is nearly unrecognizable. Yeah, she's, she's very much ahead of playing Marla. But it's interesting to go back and see somebody is. It's cool to have a record of that. Of like, yeah, eighteen-year-old Helen and Bonham Carter. That she has this record of her life and performance. She looks so young. Like she almost looks. Like, she almost looks like a child. Yes. Like she's very close. Well, she to is that. pretty much eighteen. I, mean, uh, I think she was at the time. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sharon continues. Also, and this is the most important part. Why penis? I don't care for full frontal, anyways. But no penises, please. Thank you. She's very emphatic about that. No penises. Sharon doesn't want those penises. Well, so I'm guessing you're not a fan of forgetting Sarah Marshall, because that has a prominent <coughs> penis in it. Uh, a prominent? Oh, cro- uh, crying game. I mean, shit. Sorry. I, I, 
prominent penis. Is prominent. My new, is my... uh, meaning, meaning that, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Jason. Uh... McLeod. Nope. Nope, I'm Jason, not in that movie. Jason Siegel. But, Jason Siegel. But yeah. Jason, what I'm saying is Prominent Penis is my new punk band name. That's a good name. I, was saying, I wasn't saying that Jason Siegel's penis itself was prominent, that he was prominent. I mean, it is pretty prominent. I mean, it's right there. It's pretty big. Um, but yeah, so so avoid that movie and avoid... Uh, uh, actually, you might want you, you might want to take a week off uh, in a couple of weeks there, Sharon. Um, <laughs> because there, there's some wangs coming your way. Wangs um, coming your way! What's our next comment, Brendan? Our next comment is from John Milholland. A newbie, I would say. A newbie. I hope. And he says, uh, good movie, but not my favorite period piece. That would be Barry Lyndon or Dr. Zhivago. Well, I don't necessarily agree on Zhivago, though I do like it. Barry Lyndon is fantastic. Never seen it. It's a, it's a weird movie, but it, and it's a slow movie, but it's beautiful. Uh, John goes on to say, I don't think it's aged at all, really. It hasn't aged poorly, but it hasn't gotten better with time either. I think this is mostly because there's no class struggle or gender role struggle like we've seen in uh, Little Women or Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's really more about Lucy's personal challenge of being true to herself. A solid movie, very well executed. I like it. Yeah. Thank you, John. Those are some nice words. Also, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a movie that I still have to watch because I've heard everyone talk about it from the here to the moon and back. And so my question is, is is it a portrait of a lady on fire or no. is the portrait of a lady itself on fire? Neither of those. Oh. Nicolas Cage is not in this movie. Oh. All right. Well, our next uh, comment, another newbie, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Tanya Nicole writes... It makes me think of Eddie Izzard. Whereas if the film did any little bit of business in America, as like if the film did you know, some decent bit of business, then Hollywood would take it, and they'd remake it, and they'd up the budget by 50 million, and it would be called The Room with a View of Hell. <laughs> Staircase of Satan. <laughs> Pond of Death. <laughs> and have people open the door going, you're fucking in here all the time, all the time, you're in here with the fucking matches, in here the fucking matches. <laughs> You're fucking learning and fucking You don't talk to me that way. You don't talk to me that way. You fuck my wife. 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 I am your wife. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I say again, you fuck my wife. All right, yes, I fucked your wife. I am your wife and I fucked her. I can't fucking matches. I can't get on. Oh no! Space monkeys are attacking. A whole new part of the film that wasn't in the original. All right, next comment, Brendan. Oh, it's from Julian Oldham, and Julian Oldham says it's interesting to me how often Merchant and Ivory uh, return to E.M. Forster's novels, presumably because he's one of the greatest novelists when it comes to xenophobia, sexual identity, and repression. Can't imagine why those themes would resonate in 1980s Britain. <gasps> um. Uh, Julian also says, Foster, Forster is an interesting guy, by the way. He almost completely stopped writing fiction after he finished his quote-unquote gay novel, Maurice. The story is that he'd started having sex instead. Mm. Uh, my theory is that he was just fed up of not being able to write openly about his sexuality. Whatever the reason, it feels right that Merchant Ivory made a wonderful film adaptation of Maurice once it was fully published. Thanks, Julian. I'd rather think that he, like, you know, he he definitely just 
was like, you know what? Writing is overrated. I'm going to fuck for the rest of my life. And I would respect him for it. Well, do you remember that? The story we told about uh, David Lean telling the composer to go have sex with his wife for a couple of weeks and then come <laughs> back and write the theme, right? Yeah. Uh, what if that, what if that, that's like if that guy never came back. He was like, you, David, Mr. Lean, you just introduced me to fucking. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's great. And, and I'm having sex with people I want to have sex with. And it's the best. I thought this thing just peed. <laughs> And there's 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 white pee. Why don't they teach you this shit in school? Uh, I believe they do. No, I went to school in Britain. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you you clearly clearly, my boy, you did not go to public school. Oh, oh yes, we were all quite abused. <laughs> sad story. Yeah, it's quite sad. Uh, Ashley Westermoreland on a happier note. Ashley Westmoreland. Westmoreland. Wow, I know what I would say. Westmoreland. We literally have a bridge in this town called the Westmoreland Bridge. Wow, and I way to give to away our location. I mean, Jesus. we've literally said it before on this. On Pretty this sure podcast. I've said my home phone number on this podcast. Well, before. I don't know about that, but uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> I'm sure I have. I don't know your home phone number. Keep it it's in the just show. In my phone. Keep it in the show. So Ashley Westmoreland of uh, the Westmoreland's Men, which. May have been a company of playwrights in, with Shakespeare, or I'm just remembering a Harry Turtledove book. Um, it is perfect, she says. I have quoted this movie my entire life, and I've watched it more times than I can count. It continues to be just as enjoyable to watch as ever. I credit it for not allowing myself to settle romantically. I took the weird and offbeat path and have never regretted it. Wow, Ashley, th- that's awesome. I'm so glad. I in, in all my life, I would never have imagined that somebody would like grab this movie which is a perfectly fine movie but that this movie would be their movie that's amazing I, I love that I love that every, anybody can love anything everything reson- will resonate with someone I think that's right she quotes this movie like I quote uh, Pootie Tang uh, yeah Pootie Tang well I don't know I, I, well, Monty Python maybe I, I do quote my Simpsons really is my, my main quote source. Snake Eyes but uh, Snake Eyes I can't remember a quote from Snake Eyes except for what was the guy's name Michael uh, what was, what was Gary Dunn. Kevin Dunn, that's it. Kevin Dunn, fuck you, Kevin Dunn. And the fact that there was literal blood money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so Vivian Timmons says, it's pretty perfect. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter is a wonderful Lucy Honeychurch. It was my idea of perfect romance as a young girl with Rupert Graves being my first film crush and my first glance (gasps) of a penis as well. Uh, The music was particularly magical. So for Vivian, this movie's like um, Hackers was for me, like so, getting my glimpse of uh, Angelina Jolie's uh, bosom. So for Vivian and Sharon, I don't think they'd be film buddies. Because no. Vivian is excited about her first glance of a penis. Sharon is like, enough penis! You just wait a couple weeks, Vivian. We've got a treat for you. <laughs> that sounds horrible! <laughs> Remember, this is an audio podcast, so don't, don't think too bad. About the movies that we're, <laughs> yeah, talking about. we're talking about. Jason and I are not getting naked for anyone that listens to this podcast. Unless you sign up today, patreon.com. Yeah, check out our OnlyFans. That's that's where that's where the nudes are. OnlyFans. And that's only where they go. <laughs> nudes um, of us and the stars from the movies we talked about. <laughs> uh, our next comment, uh, poor poor person that comes next, Ruby. Ruby Tanaka. Ruby Tanaka says, not my favorite Merchant Ivory film, and the two leads are the weakest actors in the cast, but it's still worth a watch. Half-hearted endorsement from Ruby Tanaka. That's, Thank you, that's, Ruby. That's one of the two hot takes I've got here. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got one more hot take. We got one more hot take. It's from Kate Initials MB. Oh, mysterious. Um, And Kate says, I love it, but Helena is terrible. And her paramour, not any better. But I don't care because it's beautiful and the rest of the cast superb. Honestly, has any film ever been carried by such beauty and supporting cast brilliance before or since? 
Oh, well, I, mean, I actually think, you know what, this it reminds me kind of of like how good the supporting cast, oh, and the lead, really, uh, was in uh, that Sense and Sensibility movie mm, we watched. Because, yes. I mean, you had Abba Thompson, Alan Rickman, Kate Winslet. And I haven't seen it in probably 20 years, but Gosford Park has a pretty good supporting cast. Mm, I mean, that whole movie is a supporting cast. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's a lead. That's right. That's exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's all supporting cast. That's a great fucking movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it was. Like I say, it's been 20 years. It's a movie that I remember... Uh, I was at the age where I was like, I'm going to watch that fucking movie. Yeah. And then I watched it like a year ago. Were you still working in the theater at the time? 2001? No. No. No, you were just a I was just a I was young lad. Four years old. Okay, moving on. <laughs> he wasn't. Uh, oh, that's all the questions. That's all the that's comments. That's all that the have. comments on the movie. Room of the View. I'm surprised how many people saw it and her reactions to it. There's a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. I had to, cool. I had to uh, narrow it down. Well, we know Eddie Izzard talked about it. Did this come up? Did you mention to me this come up somewhere else? Did we? Were we talking about that? Did Room of the View come up with something? Yes, Jason. The way it came up uh, was you actually retweeted someone. Who had said that Room of the View oh, was, right. was their sexual awakening. Yeah, Guy Branham, uh, who is a British comedian and is very funny, and I highly recommend you check him out. Uh, he's on a lot of British panel shows, but yeah, he said that Room of the View was a fundamental part of his burgeoning sectionality. Sex, sectionality? Sectionality? Sex was a, was a bur- part of his burgeoning sexuality at a young age? I found out I was a homosexual. <laughs> I, was, I was the same piece of furniture I was. Uh, <laughs> All I wanted is other pieces of furniture <laughs> to rub up against my front butt. But specifically other sexuals. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and then of course our our dumb. Re- I had to of course ask him if uh, uh, women in love figured into that because I mean of the greatest the greatest scene of two men bonding that we have oh, seen I think in the course the of the only our good part movies. of that movie. Um, yeah. So yeah. What else? Uh, what else is going on? <laughs> so, <laughs> what you look at a ninety stand up comedian in front of a brick wall? So? Oh oh yeah. What else is going on? Uh, what's in the news? Oh god. Hi guys. Oh no. It look it was President Clinton. Ah oh, yeah. Hmm. What do you think Bugs Bunny would say about that? <laughs> okay, Dave, Coul- Dave Cooley, get off stage. Cut it out. Uh, we're going to compare this movie, Jason, to the American Film Institute Top 100 because this movie is number 73 Ooh, on is the BFI Top 100. This movie? Let's see. Maybe. Number 73 on the AFI Top 100 is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm, that's a Western, too, isn't it? Yeah, sort of. I haven't seen that one. That's a Robert Redford and... Paul Newman. Paul Newman, yeah. What a cast. Heard that, then that was a big... That was a huge movie when it came out, wasn't it? Uh, yes. And also, I believe the first time uh, is the movie that Saint, uh, Raindrops Are Falling On My Head was written for. Wow. That's so th- cool. So, uh, unfortunately, Jason has declared that they lose by default. <sighs> I like, though. I like that I'm going to have seen more British movies than American movies. Mm. Well, at least, at least as far the top as the good 100s. ones. Yeah, yeah. good ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, whew, okay, so I have seen it. Room of the View. Hmm. Hmm, 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 hmm. I feel like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid would be more up my alley just based on what I know of it. It's like a heist movie, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Um, not. I wouldn't call it a heist movie, honestly. Like a crime spree movie? Um, it's more of a Panic Room remake. Oh, a pre-make no. <laughs> I'm actually going to give it to a room of the view honestly uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kids is a fun movie and it's a, it's a the structure is really interesting it's really good but I also really liked uh, hmm. no this is the first I'm canceling my, my decision oh! Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid takes this one So it's but, it, but it's a squeaker it's a squeaker tight tight like a toiger that's right but now, Jason, we need to sing our way into everyone's hearts because we need to talk about the commitments. Ow, baby! Every man wanna know 
If you want a little loving, you gotta start real slow. She's gonna love you tonight now. If you just treat her right now. Oh, squeeze a real jump. Gotta make her feel good. Tell her that you love her. Oh, I can know you should. Cause if you don't treat her right now, she won't love you tonight now. If you practice my method. That's right. That rollicking little intro there means we are talking about a 1991 release called Ooh. The Commitments, which is number 38 on this list. A very Irish film, Jason. Aye. Tis very Irish in the best possible ways. Oh, it is very Irish. And I will say this just before we get going, not to spoil any other opinions, because Jason and I have made a pact, by the way, a little behind the scenes right now. Um, mm-hmm. We are not going to talk to each other about our opinions on the movie before we get into this recording. I feel like that will be it'll make for more of a fun atmosphere because we and don't know. We never win. We never went deep. We just no. have quick words. We had quick words. Sometimes it's mostly me that fucked it up. <laughs> but I do want to. So excited. Wanna... You're an excited boy. And we love you for that. I get excited. I got really excited over Peeping Tom, and I was like, you better like this fucking movie, Jason. Um, He threatened me. Thankfully, I liked it. Thankfully. Uh, Under duress, but I'm sure he actually liked it. Um, (laughs) So this movie, uh, what I wanted to know before we even get started, we've had Stephen Izzy on the show a few times, right? Sure, yes. Yes, Stephen Um, Izzy, the greatest. This is is Izzy's, I think, one of her favorite movies. Wow. She told me that. So there you go. We'll just lay that out. Before uh, we watched this, the only bit I knew about this movie was from my uh, DVD collecting days, because I remember when this was released on DVD, it was quite a big deal that there was a nice version of this out and available now. So I was I've been interested to see it. But I, I was a little bit surprised because I always thought this was like a ultimately like a punk movie. I thought that this had like a real like punk vibe to it. Like I thought, oh, the commitments and the cover and everything. And maybe think this is going to be a movie about punk music, but it's not, Brendan. It's not about it, punk music. No, it's not at all. And it, by the way, before we even get into the movie, this is directed by Alan Parker, who has made some very interesting movies. Um, it just a difference, like d- different movies. So he just just to name a few. Alan Parker has directed uh, Midnight Express. Okay. Fame. Wow. Uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Angel Heart. The Mickey Rourke, Robert De Niro film about the devil. Okay. Oh, okay. By the way, yeah, Robert De Niro plays a character named Louis Cipher. Hmm. <laughs> Who does he play? Hmm. I um, want to watch the movie to find out. <laughs> he also directed Mississippi Burning, which I actually mm, just saw mm. for the first time very recently. Jimmy uh, Woods, right? Uh, no, no, that's um, uh, Willem Dafoe and Gene Hackman. What movie am I thinking of? I don't know. No idea. Uh, Evita, Angela's Ashes, and of course, the movie that everyone won't shut up about in 2021, The Life of David Gale. Wow. That's a broad, that's a broad selection of movies. You got to say that guy. It's crazy, yeah. He bounced around. Good for him. He did bounce around. But this is The Commitments, and I'm going to run down some of the cast. Odds are, guys, you've never heard of most of these people, and that's okay. But I'm going to run them down anyway because there are a lot of strong performers in this movie, and I feel like everyone deserves some credit right off the bat. So we got leading this movie, we got Robert Arkins as Jimmy Rabbit. He is our main character. He is a guy who wants to uh, be a manager. He wants to put together a soul band. Um, we have, uh, Angeline Ball as Imelda. 
the hot little blonde number who he uh, everyone has their sights everyone on, really. yeah everyone uh maria doyle as natalie murphy another uh, another lady who joins the joins the group and has somewhat for a while at least unrequited feelings for uh, jimmy mm-hmm. um Dave Finnegan as Micah Wallace, who probably is one of my favorite parts of this movie because he's fucking insane. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, Brona Gallagher as Bernie, who is an, uh, the other uh, third, rounding out the three female characters, the uh, the backup singers. But they also get some songs of their own. I just want to say mm-hmm. that. Um, Glenn Hansard is one of the two people I knew from this movie. He plays Outspan Foster. And the only reason I know him is because he's in the movie once. That uh, became a big uh, little little bit of an indie darling when it came out in 2002, I believe. Another performance in this movie that I really, really like and is Johnny Murphy as Joey the Lips Fagan. Great performance. Uh, yes. Amazing performance. And then the third one, that, the third standout for me is Andrew Strong as Deco Cuff, um, who's mm-hmm. the lead singer in the band. We also have the only other name I knew from this movie, which is Cole Meany as Mr. Rabbit, Jimmy's dad. There he is, the chief. Uh, the Elvis Presley obsessed Mr. Rabbit. So let's just talk about this briefly. First off, yeah, we I want should to... talk about the plot because there's yeah, there's a lot of characters here. Well, we'll talk about the plot in a sec. I just want to say I oh, believe okay. this movie uh, is all movies that feature Cole Meany are are not because Cole Meany doesn't exist. What we are seeing is a record of Chief O'Brien uh, and his adventures in Holodex. And this was one of his holodeck adventures when he was serving on the Enterprise D. He would go into this uh, simulation and this whole story would play out. And he just played this Elvis-obsessed dad. And it allowed him to relax and stuff. And he really liked all those boring sorts of just like hang out and be a dad programs until he went to Deep Space Nine and he met Dr. Julian Bashir. And Julian Bashir was like, well, this is really boring. Why don't we like fly in the Battle of Britain or fight like Klingon battles and shit? And he was like, okay. So now that Jason has explained something that I'm sure a lot of listeners understood, but went completely over my head, um, <laughs> let's get into let's get into the commitments and talk about this movie. Um, running in the plot, it's a very simple plot. Very simple. Um, it is about a man, like you said, Jimmy Rabbit. He yes. wants to. What I thought was interesting in this movie is that he doesn't want to be a singer. He doesn't want to yeah. form a band to be in a band. He wants to manage a band, put yeah. put a band together. Yeah, and, he does all the heavy lifting. He puts the ad the paper. Yeah. He gets everybody together. It's his project, even though he's not actually going to play in it or sing or anything. Right, exactly. So he wants to put a band together. And basically, it's the story of a band coming together and their rise and, surprisingly to me anyway, their fall. Um, but we'll get into it. Uh, Jason, this movie is kind of unique right away because I think most of these people now, most of these people did have a little bit of acting experience, Yes. but um, Alan Parker, the director um, went completely out of his way to make sure that he was hiring mostly on the basis of local musicians that he could find. He yeah. wasn't trying to go for names. Obviously Cole Meany. I mean, we know Cole Meany, but I don't know if he was really a name in 1991. So, I mean, maybe in Ireland, he would have been probably a more well-known actor, but you know, in, in certainly on this side of the pond, unless you were watching Star Trek TNG at the, when this movie came out, which was 1991, you probably didn't know who he was. Okay. So maybe, I mean, maybe people knew who he was. He was a recognizable face perhaps. Sure. But, um, yeah. So most of the, most of the, people in this movie are singers that he went to clubs and just, you know, did interviews with and auditioned with. And, um, actually what's interesting is we'll get into all these characters, but the guy who plays Mika, 
who um, probably has one of my favorite lines, and there are so many good lines in this movie, but one of mm. my favorite lines in this movie is when he's testing out the microphone, and yes. he's just bashing it against his own head. He's like, this is a, good, is a bloody good microphone, this. And, uh, <laughs> apparently, when Alan Parker met with him, he knew this guy needed to play a psycho, and he was intentionally like pissing him off. Like he had a very acrimonious like uh, like meeting with him. And the guy that played him, um, that played Michael Wallace, um, was like, oh, man, I definitely didn't get the part because I freaked out at this director. Like Dave Finnegan is his name. He's like, mm. I freaked out at this director and I, my, I lost my temper. Like, there's no way in hell I'm going to be in this movie. And immediately after that meeting, <laughs> Alan Barker was like, look, I just want to apologize. But you're in because I wanted to see how you would react <laughs> if somebody was pissing you off. And you're absolutely perfect. And yeah, that character in the movie is basically sort of a security guard at first. Like he's kind of like watching the door and and uh, uh, dealing with like uh, uh, hecklers and stuff. But eventually, he ends up filling in his drummer once the drummer quits the band. Right? Yeah, they're like, you're, he's a psych. Everyone says he's a psycho, and then we yeah. have Jimmy saying, "Yeah, but he's going to be our psycho." Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's right. You gotta. You want to have them on your side. <laughs> That's right. And and with what you said about the casting that they like interviewed. Um, musicians and stuff it shows because like that's the thing about this movie is all these people look like real people like yeah they're not they're not you know starlets they're not actors that have been built in a laboratory they are they are real real irish people and and i think that's what confused me about this movie initially when i when i because i have the dvd i bought mm-hmm. the dvd I, I fell into that trap of like oh this looks like a sweet dvd i'll probably watch this movie one day yeah what confused me about the cast list, when I remember when I first saw it, I was like, oh, is this a documentary? Oh, maybe I'll never watch it. Hmm. That's what I thought. Just seeing the yeah. people that were in this movie, I was like, oh, these, this is about a real band. Like, I don't know if I'm into this. So well, Now you know. Now you know. I Now I know. Um, yeah, and it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just interesting getting, going for singers and guiding their performances more like guiding their like their acting performances more rather than getting actors and just having people like you know dub the singers actually mm. the only person in this movie that doesn't play his own instrument is johnny murphy the guy who plays joey the lips fagan which yeah. is i think that's a hilarious detail a real life detail based on who his character is yeah like that his character tells tall tales and that that actor is the only one that doesn't play his own instrument <laughs> Well, also the tall tales thing. Well, we can get into that, but I'm, we'll I, I was confused on that. I wasn't sure. I wasn't exactly sure. But then we had that moment at the end with Wilson Pickett coming by. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no. I, and, but I think I think it's a great detail. There's yeah. there's so many there's so much to get into. Um, first off, this movie reminded me a lot of the full Monty. Yeah, that setting, right? It's yeah, it's a very working class kind of setting where we're, we're in Dublin, you know, working class kind of place. You know, maybe not in the best shape, but there's, you know, lots of people around. And, yeah, definitely it, it feels a bit depressed. And, you know, and of course, this is in 1991 when the troubles are still going on. So in addition to whatever else bad stuff is happening, there is the threat of terrorist attack on a, on a regular basis. Um, so that, that affects people's morale. So I, I see where you're coming from uh, with that comparison. Yeah, well, I think, too, um, just, the, just the idea of the comedy um, – combined with that because to me i don't know about you but to me this is i I wasn't sure going in if this was a comedy or drama to me this is a comedy yeah almost 100 almost there's dramatic stuff but i feel like this is more of a comedy yeah uh this uh is based on a book yeah Uh, and i was reading up a little bit about the book and apparently the book is pretty much a straight comedy and it's it's weirdly written too apparently it's written almost all in dialogue 
Yeah, I was reading about that. I I, I remember uh, seeing that as well. Yeah, uh, and it's part of a trilogy of books, which which there were two movies made after this, and Call Meanie is about them. So that's kind of neat too. Yeah, so that was like the Barrytown trilogy. So there's yeah. one called The Van, and I forget what the other one is called. Uh, Snapper something, something Snapper. Snapper. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Cole Meany, yeah, Cole Meany's in all three, but I think he plays different characters in some of them. I think he's the same character in all three of them, except they changed oh. the character's name in the third one to Larry for some reason. <laughs> sure, I mean, eventually you got to be a Larry. Yeah. <laughs> I, think that was, I think that was why the Three Stooges broke up, because Mo was like, I want to be Larry. And Larry was like, but I'm Larry. And et cetera. Fucking Guys, well. we just told you, we just revealed it, how the Three Stooges broke up on this podcast. <laughs> Quick story. I, I heard, uh, I think it was J.J. Abrams on a podcast once talk about how he used to call up. He he, he was really interested in comedy. Was, well, no, maybe it was either J.J. Abrams or maybe it was Judd Apatow. But anyways, one of them got in contact with fucking Larry Fine. And at like a home or something and, and talked to him one day and he's, uh, was talking to me. He said, Oh, do you want to talk to Mo? I got his number. I'll give it to you. And he's like, okay. And so he calls up Mo and Mo's like, how'd you get this number? And he's like, uh, he says, Oh, Larry fine gave it to me. And there's a pause. And he just goes, Larry. <laughs> I love that. He would just do it just to fuck with him after all these years. <laughs> Anyways, that's enough about the stooges. Still crazy after all these years. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, Full Monty, and also brassed off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I mean this this movie is more. What's the? I, I was thinking of a different one. It's almost like a heist movie in some ways, in that it's like, you know, a good chunk of it is getting the band together, like literally yeah, getting yeah. the band together. You know, and it, it feel, actually it's like Mass Effect. It's like you're going out, you're getting your uh, your new characters, you're doing their loyalty missions to get them in, and then once they're all together, then we can do the band thing, which is less important than the journey to get there. Right. Um. Actually, now that you talk about getting the band together, maybe this is the first clip I want to play. Just a, a mo- little montage of Jimmy um, having people come in and uh, tell him who their influences are. And he yes. kind of decides right then and there if he wants to even bring them in for an audition. And it's interesting. Um, I take this as the movie slagging all the people that are mentioned here, all the famous people that are mentioned here. So let's just let's take a let's take a listen to this little montage. Who are your influences? Uh, Barry Manilow. Who are your influences? Joan Bias, uh, Joni Mitchell. Uh, Wings. Mike Montana, Overdrive. Bandau Ballet, Soft Cell. Sinead O'Connor. Bob Benson, I took to a candy shop where... Hi, I've come about the audition. Led Zeppelin. Uh, Billy and the Bollocks. You too? What a coward. He doesn't even want to try somebody who looks weird. <laughs> I, yeah, that detail is weird. I, I, at first I was like, oh, is that like a homophobic kind of scene? Because there's one character who definitely is like a Boy George type look to him. Yes. And he immediately slams the door in his face. But to be well, fair, he also does that to someone else after that. Also, uh, and, and I'm sure this will be a bigger issue we'll talk about, but are there no black people in Ireland? Simply None. because no, they, they are the soul black music. People. They are well, the they're, they're black people of Europe, certainly, of, as they say. Yeah, the speech goes, we're going to play soul music because we're the Ireland is the blacks of Europe and Dublin are the blacks of Ireland and North Dubliners are the blacks of Dublin. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> interesting perspective on that. But it's funny because, yeah, they're doing soul music and the only person of color who shows up in this movie is when they're watching James Brown on TV. 
<laughs> yes, that's right. But I think I think the movie kind of comments on that too, right? Because we have yeah. a character addressing that early on, saying like, "Aren't we a little white to do this music?" Yes, yes. He specifically says that, which I thought was really funny. Mm. But uh, you know, they they they, they do their best. Yeah, I, I and I do like um. So we see this town in kind of ruins because I mean it's North Dublin in 1991. It was not a good shape. Uh, like you said, the troubles were even going on at the time still. So there was constant threat of terrorism, terrorist attacks. Um, he had this sharp divide between North and South Dublin. He even says in the movie at one point, like in, in his in his little advertisement, South, South Dubliners and rednecks need not apply. <laughs> because um, I read up a little bit on it because I don't know a lot about this era, but apparently South Dublin is like the rich, like elite mm-hmm. side. They're like they're Makes like the, they're like Donald Trump's army over here, and then you got yeah. the nice little. North Dubliners trying to make ends meet. All the working class people just trying to get by. Right, exactly. And yeah, so there's a sharp divide there. And like you mentioned, the IRA was doing their shit at the time. Mm. I mean, we talked about a we talked about a movie that kind of took place around the same era, which was The Crying Game. Sure. Right. So I mean, we got a lot much of less music in that one. Uh, I mean, I mean, a there's little that bit one less. Song. There was that one song. <laughs> but it's a good song, so. <laughs> Um, and this, but despite mentioning that this movie does not try to hamfistedly force in any like IRA stuff or terrorism, or it's just, it's in the background because that's when this movie took place. No. And I mean, I say the full Monty and brassed off earlier because I think those movies do are, are more of like issue movies. Like they, they push the issue a little bit, but well, like they do well. Um, these both, all those movies are about working class people in kind of desperate situations and finding solace in music. And now, obviously, in this one, uh, Jimmy's trying to like make this a thing. He wants to make a go of this and make some money with this admittedly huge band, which is going to cut into his profit margins quite a bit because he has to have 150 people on stage at any given time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's giant. It's a giant band. Um, I do like how after this, like montage of all you know people saying who their influences are he goes through like a few auditions i think the audition scenes are really funny too mm-hmm. where he has like <laughs> he has everything from like people doing acapella to like uh, a punk singer to uh to su- a hilarious detail with cole meany is that he loves elvis presley so they have this one singer singing about like Elvis was a Cajun and he was he went to Memphis later and then you know you have uh, Cole Meany being like Elvis was not a Cajun that's blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we had that, that moment too later where he meets uh, uh, Joey oh. and, and he talks about hanging out with Elvis and he's like, did, did Elvis ever mess around with drugs? And he's like, oh. never saw it. And he's like, I told you, I oh, told you. Too. <laughs> we need to play that clip at some point. I don't know if you want yeah. to play it now, but I, we need as to well. Let's play it. I want to hear All it. All right. Yeah. Well, maybe we should talk. Okay. We'll just play the, we should set this up a little bit. Maybe first though, because okay, so, we, need to understand, so, we need to kind of understand who Joey is. So in, in, in the course of the movie, they get all these different members for the band and they end up, uh, uh, Joey show, Joey, the lips shows up uh, on his moped to, to see about being in the band and he plays trumpet and he tells uh, Jimmy that he's basically, he basically blues brothers is him. He's on a mission from God, and uh, God wants him to be in this band, or at least uh, uh, a preacher in Harlem told him that he should uh, spread soul in uh, England. So he took that to heart, and that's his uh, holy mission is to spread soul to the English. 
and and he is about 20 years older than everyone else in the band. Yeah, he's kind of a creepy old guy for sure. I mean, he is, but I kind of like, I thought he was kind of charming. Like I thought there was a genuine, there was a genuineness to him. Yeah. Even though there's a definite part of him that's not genuine. Maybe Mm. we're not sure, but I think there's still a genuineness to him because he talks about, he talks about, um, he talks about like, oh, I jammed with this musician. Oh, I played with the Beatles. There's a hilarious scene where they're listening to, um, Oh, what's that song? I want to say Blues Brothers, but obviously they're not the original recordist. But the one that's like, dun, 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 you know what yeah, I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The the opening like Blues Brothers. Looking music. for a fox. Looking for okay. a fox. And he says, "Oh, that's me on trumpet." And then they actually look on the on the on the album and it says Jay Fagan, and they're like, "But that could be anybody. That could be another yeah. Jay Fagan. Maybe that's not even his name. Like, you know what I mean?" Yeah, exactly. They're doubting him. So, so in the course of this, he ta- he tells this story to Cole Meany um, about meeting Elvis, and I think the scene is fantastic. So let's just play this. <laughs> Jesus, that's amazing. You were actually in Graceland. So anyway, here's the four of you sitting in the front room of the mansion. Now, Vernon wasn't drinking lemonade, if you know what I'm saying. Who's Vernon? Elvis's dad. Vernon Presley. Go on, Joey. He picked up Gina. Jane is my trumpet. And he puked right into her. He didn't. Right into her. Good shit. So I went back upstairs. I said, yo, Elvis, my man, look what your daddy's after down to my trumpet and who's going to pay to get her clean? So, get out! I said get out! So what did Elvis say, Joey? Yeah, listen to this. This bit's brilliant. The man said nothing at first. He took Jane very gently and he brought her into the bathroom and he run her under the tap then he took out his handkerchief and he gave her a good wipe and he handed her back to me and he said he said Joey the lips please forgive my daddy Tell me something, Joey. Now, in all the time that you were in Graceland, did you ever... Did you ever see Elvis messing around with drugs? No, brother. I knew it. I always said... And you, you malignant little bastard! I, I knew it! My God almighty. <laughs> I love that. I love that scene so much because they tie in Joey's... Joey the Lips is like in um uh, inclination to tell tall tales with Colmini's love of Elvis that he's just yeah. like did Elvis use drugs? No, brother. <laughs> it's a, such a <laughs> it's such a great scene. It made him so happy. Yeah, it made him so happy. It's almost like so I feel like Joey is there to tell people what they want to hear, right? Mm, yeah, Would to you, some extent. If he is indeed a flim-flam artist, and it's still not totally clear to me whether he is or not, mm-hmm. uh, he sure sounds like he's exaggerating because he uh, loves name-dropping all these people. But uh, he's also – the character can play the trumpet very well. And as we see later in the movie, Wilson Pickett shows up, but late. Well, I mean, I have a theory about that. Like, I have a theory that could go, could go either way, but we'll wait till we get to that um, a little later. But I do want to talk about Joey Fagan as a character, because I think he's the most interesting character in this entire movie. Yeah, and he's a character that looks a little different in 2020. <laughs> oh, in <laughs> or terms 2021. of how, 
in terms of how he sleeps around? Well, no, not just that he sleeps around. It's that he comes around, he gets in with this band of younger people, and then he proceeds to work his way through each of the backup singers uh, <laughs> over the course of it. Now, in the book, I believe, based on the quick review of the summary that I, I read, uh, mm. he impregnates one of the girls. Oh. Or at least there's a pregnancy scare anyways. And I think Imelda, and he just takes off. And that's how he, why he goes away at the end of the book. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say this right now. I'm really glad that's not in this movie. No. Because they, the, the character to me, and I don't know if this is because of Johnny Murphy's performance or if this is the way the character is written, but the character of Joey the Lips Fagan seems like not so much of an aggressive guy who's pursuing these girls. I think they're just falling for him. Yeah, he's got that, you know, that mysterious musician kind of aura to him and he's got all these stories to tell which are certainly enchanting and charming to these young ladies and and, and another addition to his charm is his mother right the mm. character of his mother because he he lives with his mother or when he comes back to ireland he lives with his mother and mm -hmm. his mother is so like oh yes you know he goes to he goes to ireland or he goes to america he went to america for four years and he played with all these artists and there's a great little scene where she's like but i know his secret and they all kind of lean in because they're like well what's going on we want to know more about this guy and she says he sends me a postcard all the time. <laughs> every place he, every place he plays, he sends every me a place, postcard. Every place he plays, and like I love the relationship between, like even though we never see them on screen together, which is interesting. Like Joey Fagan and his mother. Mm. Um, well, I mean, we kind of do, but not really. Like I just love that relationship that he goes, he goes home because he says his ma's not feeling well. Mm. Um, which sounds like a made-up excuse, right? <laughs> I mean, it could be, but I do, I do, I do think it's, it's kind of adorable, mm. that relationship that they have. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Sort of sweet man as he's having sex with these women a third his age. Okay. Well, talk about, let's talk about that then. <laughs> if we're going to get into this character, he ends up seducing all the female, all the females in the band. Well, he gets caught snogging with Natalie on the stairs after he was sent out to get burgers. To get and burgers, which is such a such a '90s thing. Yeah, go get us burgers, and then that results in uh, fucking was it Deco? Is that his name, the lead singer? Yes. Yeah, because they're talking about them like having or, or you know snogging with each other or doing whatever, and he's like, oh well, he's into it. And he's like, oh maybe she's into it too. Oh well, then she's a slut, and then fucking Bernie hits him and knocks him off the piano onto the ground, and that was a rightful hit. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, an and I mean. And I mean, that's the thing, too. They say like, oh, you know, he must be, at one point, the character says well, he must be dipping his dick in steroids to, to hook up <laughs> with all these ladies. And I mean, the guy is older, but he's like in his 40s. He's not a 70 year old man. Mm. Um, yeah. I do like when he first shows up too. they uh, Jimmy notes, you know, you're about as old as my dad. He says, yes, but I'm 15 years younger than B.B. King. I jammed with him once. <laughs> you got to shove it in there. Yeah. <laughs> As as does he with all the females in the movie. Yo, and then he had that weird one where he's he's fucking uh, Bernie, and uh, yeah. he does the what, what song is it? Shaft. Oh, does, oh, Shaft. Yeah, he does the opening narration to Shaft just before he plunges his Shaft into her. Well, and then she says, "Would you shut up and just fuck me?" Basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I but my question I guess is with Joey Fagan, um, played by Johnny Murphy, who again I think is like. One of the two, one of my two favorite performances in this movie. But I think um, what's interesting is, do you think he's like making up? Do you think he feels inadequate? 
Do you think he went to America and he actually never had the success? And he's like making up for it by like, you know, being with younger women. I don't know. Or his best days are behind him and he's trying to recapture that. Uh, yeah. By like telling all these stories and yeah, also trying to fuck younger women to remind him of a time when groupies were like, uh, you know, hot and cold running water. And I mean, we should say we should stress younger women is not like, you know, in, 20, in their 20s, not illegal. Well, this was 30 years ago, Brendan. No, the actresses are clearly not like 50. No, the actresses. But I'm saying the character. I think the character's been around the block. I think he and Jimmy Page may have hung out. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It's also it also feels like if he's telling these stories about being in America and jamming with all these people, I mean, maybe it's to make his mom feel good, too. Yeah, he he, he does seem like a guy who likes to bring joy to people around him. And, yeah. And, and telling these stories, he gives people a little thrill, you know, that little bit of I name mean, drop celebrity shit. I mean, arguably, he's the only character that doesn't cause drama in terms of like getting into fights with people. Right. He's always there to kind of bring everyone back together. Yeah, no, really the only drama he ends up causing is when he says he'll get Wilson Pickett and then Wilson Pickett doesn't show up. Right, that that is the crux of the final act of this movie. Um, I guess I guess then I will say my other um, favorite character, I, I, in terms of the most interesting, and I mean, I'm sure you can just guess, is Deco. Uh, yeah, Deco, he's a, uh, yeah, because when we, re- we initially meet Deco, he's at a wedding and he is, hammered drunk just belting out a song on stage and then eventually right. is so drunk that he falls over into the crowd and knocks over a bunch of shit and <laughs> typical drunk wedding shit you know yeah and, and jimmy immediately is like you know what that guy's got some pipes that guy's well, got he's some having, pipes. he's having such trouble finding a singer that it's like hey let's give this guy a shot sure he's a <laughs> drunk wedding guy and when he goes to see him initially he even says he's like oh yeah you were singing at the wedding and he goes was i i was like 14 drinks deep i don't know what the hell was going on yeah, he says I had fourteen rum and blacks. Can you tell me what a rum and black is? Uh, no, but I can consult with the oracle that's called Google and find out. I wonder if it's a type of uh, unless it's just rum and coke. Yeah, because I was wondering. I was like, what the hell is a rum and black? Uh, let's see, a rum and black drink recipe is one ounce of dark rum and three ounces of black currant juice. Okay. <laughs> Don't know what that might be. All right, that'd be pretty tasty. Yeah, it's like a, it's a black currants are like a little like fruit that grows on like a bush. Okay. It'd be pretty okay. good, I bet. So rum and juice, he was basically drinking. 14 yeah. of them. Yeah, a lot of them. What what I think is interesting about this character is that if in any other movie, this, like in a mainstream movie, this would be about a, a huge band, right? This would be about a band achieving superstar level fandom. And this guy being this, because he turns into a huge egomaniac. Yeah. Um, but it'd be more, you'd be more like, oh, okay, I get it. In this movie, they achieve like some fame, like some local fame, but his level of, of I'm this big star seems yeah. higher than it should be. I don't think he turned into a dick so much as it just exacerbated the dickishness that was already there. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what I want. Yes. That's what I want to focus on because exactly, because I think that's, that's what happens with a lot of fame, right? It doesn't necessarily transform you into a different person, but that thing that's just bubbling below the surface for him um, mm. just pops through, right? It's like, oh, yeah, this is me for real. <laughs> well, and I also get the sense from his personality, too. He's kind of a dick. Like, he's kind of got this very outgoing personality, but he also is kind of mean sometimes and yep. doesn't have a lot of respect for women. But also, to be fair to him, 
not most of them don't seem to have a whole lot of respect for women, like in, in a more modern sense, because they're really they're all they're, they're literally like a Tex Avery cartoon. Sometimes you know, their <laughs> eyes are almost bugging out of their head when the girls are climbing over the fence down the ladder and they're like, oh, look, oh, maybe we can see her ass. Oh, it's like those kids. What was that Scottish movie we watched with the, the kids watching the nurse in the window? Um, oh, uh, Gregory's Girl. Gregory's Girl. Yeah, they're like grown up or more grown up version of Gregory's Girl. <laughs> also i wanted to mention for a sec the drummer the redheaded drummer oh billy uh, yeah if, if people know me they might think he's my dad uh, uh <laughs> even though he looks nothing like my dad uh just because he's got red hair like i used to and uh, uh i love that but, you just i love how you were like guys you all know my dad right yeah well, you know my dad you no know, it's not billy <laughs> It's not Billy. No, I can understand why you might think that. My dad doesn't look like him. But the thing they do share in common, besides the fact that he kind of looks like me with the red hair, is that uh, uh, he's a farrier. He shoots horses for a living, which is what my dad has done for 30 years. He hasn't done it recently, but that was his career. So that was a weird, uh, weird. And then later in the movie, they after everything goes down and they, they ask what happened to Billy, he says that Billy... Uh, Billy went back to shooting horses and he got kicked in the head. It was the best thing that ever happened to him. <laughs> yeah, Billy really gets the short shrift in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also hates Deco. Like, I think this is mm. the character that is most at odds with Deco. Because if, if we get a little bit of background on Billy, the drummer, um, is that he he went to jail or he he was on he's on probation because he actually he basically says like you know I punched some asshole just like Deco yeah. and I'm on probation now because of it. That's why he quits the band later. That is, and really, that is the most responsible decision I would say made in the movie is that he's like, no, I, I know I'm going to fuck this guy up and I'm going to go to jail because of it. So I have to leave the band because I want to continue living my life and making a living. <laughs> but you know what, Jason, we're talking about the, we're talking about Deco. And we're talking about Billy and we're talking about the band. We should actually hear the band sing a little bit. Yeah, let's hear some of this soul, the soul. Yeah. Bring it to, let's hear uh, some of the soul. Let's hear a good version of this because they start off kind of shitty. And I will say that it's. It's it must be so difficult for good singers to pretend like they're shitty singers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that seems yeah. like difficult acting to me. It's like it's like the actor that pretends to be a bad actor or the stand up that pretends to be do bad stand up. It's a very. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like it's like Seth Rogen in uh, Funny People when he's pretending to be shitty at stand up at the beginning of the movie. And then conversely, you see somebody like, uh, like Tim Heidecker or Andy Daly that can do that sort of thing and just make it so much just so funny and how unfunny it is <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah what else what else what else <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so let's listen to a little bit of the band performing at their at their peak here guess you better slow So it's a, it's 
I mean, at that point, they're already like that's towards kind of the end of the movie, so they're already getting a lot better. But mm. I mean, it's believable that they're that they become a very good band and i think that's difficult <laughs> for some reason jason i don't know why i was thinking about this movie but this is a movie based on like a fictional band right yeah. so all i could think of was that horrible movie Rockstar with mark Wahlberg. oh yeah 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 <laughs> and oh. just how unconvincing that movie was in portraying like a band and how convincing this one was mm. at portraying people coming together and forming this band and that you believe them, you believe the performances, you believe that they're like building up and building up and building up, and you believe like the tension behind the scenes as well. Well, I mean, if if they all are actually musicians, that makes sense. It always feels more real when you have real musicians. I mean, and you could look at like um, Spinal Tap is a good example. The three yeah. main guys in that all played instruments and wrote that music, or uh, a School of Rock where all those kids played music, and it, again felt so genuine. So I appreciate that. I appreciate mean, that the director went to that extent. I mean, let's not let's not discount Rockstar. Mark Wahlberg is also mm-hmm. a musician. Let's not forget that. That's yes, uh, I suppose. Technically, <laughs> yes. Feel He's it, got a funky it. bunch. An entire funky bunch that I don't <laughs> think made a single appearance in that movie. How how many is how many people are in a funky bunch? Like what's, oh, that's the, what's the, the conversion there? That's the great thing about a funky bunch is that you don't ever have to say how many people specifically. I feel like it'd have to be at least three to be considered a bunch. But okay. after that, the sky's the limit. <laughs> and, and a funky bunch, I think, uh, indicates you have to have a lot more diversity than the real funky bunch probably has. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. um, uh, and certainly we understand why maybe there's no Vietnamese people in the funky bunch. But, uh, oh, no. I, I, I fucking set you up for that because I, <laughs> I knew you were going to comment on that. And I let it happen. So thank but, you. Uh, also, if, if Mark Wahlberg ever, or Wal- Wahlberg, if Mark Wahlberg ever runs Wahlberg. for office... Uh, as a politician, I, I believe his supporters will be members of the Funky Bunch at that point. The Funky Bunch will expand to include all supporters of his platform. I mean, I hope he never runs for office. No, me too. But but if it happens, Funky Bunch. <laughs> How you doing, Funky Bunch? Say hello to your mothers for me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um... <laughs> It, the movie also, I will say, like you mentioned how, uh, you know, Joey uh, sleeps his way through the three female singers in the group. Works uh, his way through. What's that? He churns through them. He grinds through one after the other. He does. I mean, Imelda is, Imelda, the blonde lady, is uh, suggested, but implied, but we don't know. But I mean, we know. Well, And we know that every other guy in this band is ready to just ravish that girl at the drop of a hat. Oh, man. I was going to say, I, I do appreciate the fact that this movie takes a pretty hard stance that these guys are all like kind of assholes when it comes to that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> Joey's like the nicest like, one. And I guess he's, I guess he's the nicest one, but he's also the only one that gets any action. So. Oh, Joey. Yeah. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's their statement too. Maybe that's yeah. their statement on the part of the movie. It's like, well, this is the only guy not being an overly misogynist pig. And he's he nice is, and he's smart and he has good stories and he's mature. Yeah. Because um, they're all a bunch of overgrown boys, ultimately. Ultimately, yes. And, and this is one, also one of those movies where I would say, um, I mean, I wrestled with, with this a little bit because I would I would argue the first hour and maybe 20 minutes, there's a lot of story going on. There's music in There's obviously a lot of music, too, but there's some story worked in. And I would say the last like 30 to 40 minutes is almost all music. 
Yeah, and it's right? good music too. It's it, just, oh, it's it, great music. I, I'm not going to yeah. say it's not, but it's interesting to me that it almost becomes almost all music. Yeah. Well, people uh, love music, Brendan, and if you really want to make a fan favorite movie, you got to have a lot of music. I've got a question for you, Jason. Ask away. There's a scene where they're on a train, okay, mm-hmm. and um, you know, um. We're going to hear it, but Jimmy is basically giving them this speech. Like, they're getting ready. They haven't, they haven't performed yet as a group. They've auditioned, or they're not auditioned, but they've rehearsed. And he's giving them this speech about soul music a little bit. And they're, um, they all of a sudden break into song. And I just want to play this scene and, and maybe talk about what movie comes to mind when you hear this. Because I wait, thought wait, of one. Are you sure they're on a train? I thought they were on a bus. No, they're, I'm pretty sure they're on a train because you see the tracks. Like, they cut to okay. an external shot or exterior shot. Right, because they're going across the bridge. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So I just want to play this scene, and then maybe I'll maybe we'll kind of figure out what this movie. I think a movie that maybe took this scene. But anyway, we'll talk. We'll talk about it. Let's listen. From now on, I don't want you to listen to Guns and Roses and the Soup Dragons. I want you on a strict diet of soul. James Brown for the growls, Otis Redding for the moans, Smokey Robinson for the wines, and Aretha for the whole lot put together. Jimmy's a soul sex. Dutch <laughs> bastard. I didn't say that. I said the rhythm of soul is the rhythm of riding. You mean you wanted to sing as if you were riding with someone? You got practice with me? I bunch your bottoms off you coming to me as fucking fuck. Might fancy that. Wanna make earrings out of them? <laughs> soul is the rhythm of sex, and it's the rhythm of the factory too. The working man's rhythm. Sex in the factory. Not in the factory I'm in. There isn't much rhythm in gut and fish. <laughs> soul is the music that people understand. Sure, it's basic and it's simple. But it's something else, something special. Cause, cause, cause it's honest, that's it, it's honest. There's no fucking bullshit. It sticks its neck out and sits it straight from the heart. Sure, there's lots of music you can get off of, but soul is more than that. It takes you somewhere else. It grabs you by the balls and lifts you above the shite. Said to the man at the railroad track, Jimmy 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 if you insist, but where you want to go, man? Destination anywhere is the west. I don't care. You see, my baby don't love me no more. And this old world ain't got no back door. So I guess what I'm asking, Jason, is did Cameron Crowe watch this movie? Well, I, I think that, yes, absolutely, he must have, because uh, this does remind me, certainly, of the Tiny Dancer scene in uh, that movie. <laughs> yes, thank you for that very economical answer. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know Cameron Crowe, he's a music guy, he likes movies, uh, I feel like he probably saw this movie at some point, and uh, it would be fair to say that he may have been inspired to do that scene from this film. <laughs> scene. <laughs> thank you. It's like you were like, Brendan, did I say what you wanted me to say? Thank you. <laughs> good night and good luck. <laughs> no, I mean, I served I, my purpose. I don't know. Did you did you feel that like while watching it? Because I felt that while it, watching it, it. It's funny. It didn't it didn't actually occur to me uh, specifically that it was almost famous. But watching it, I was like, this feels like I've seen this before somewhere. Yeah. Or at least something similar to this, and I wasn't sure whether they stole it from someone or somebody stole it from them. But I mean, it could have been before this too. But the the, the first thing I thought of, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen Almost Famous, number one, watch it because it's a Please. great movie. It's so good. Um, 
But there's a scene in that movie where they're on the tour bus and they all start slowly breaking into song and singing Tiny Dancer by Elton John. That's kind of what happens in this scene. They start singing Destination Anywhere. Although, is, is the implication that he just starts singing it or that they can hear the music that we can hear? Well, that, yeah, that's my question, too. I mean, that's also the question I have in Almost Famous, right? Because you yeah. kind of hear it in the background, too. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, but it's almost like, like, I think in Almost Famous, they actually start at the beginning of the song. You know, somebody says, But in this one, it's like, I feel like the song's already been playing through, like, his entire speech. So it's like this dude just jumps into the middle of the song and starts singing it, and, every, and everybody picks it up. Yeah. Strange. Well, I don't think I don't think it's playing through the speakers on this train. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm wondering. Was it diegetic music? Did somebody have a boombox we didn't see? Somebody like call tape? Somebody call Martin Scorsese. We need an answer. That's right. Get over here, Marty. You and all your I, brows. I I don't I don't know. It's, I, I'm also Woody Allen. I, I, I <laughs> don't know what's going on. That's a movie I want to see, Marty and Woody. In a buddy cop movie. Yeah, where Marty's just like, I don't know why I ever agreed to do this. This can't be good for my career. No, I don't want to be a buddy with this cop. <laughs> <laughs> but we're just uh, going to go to the house. And we're going to arrest the criminals. Everything will be fine. Look, I don't want to work with you, Wood. <laughs> Can I call you Wood? <laughs> were you were you surprised, too, in this movie where, like, they go through, like, if this was, like, an, a biopic of a real band, like, I wouldn't be surprised. Because they go through the same kind of tribulations, right? Uh, yeah. But the one thing they kind of leave out is they don't go really, they don't really go through like a drug problem. Yeah, no, you, it's just as you were saying that, that did occur to me. Yeah, no, nobody really is uh, into drugs in this movie. I think they're all just, they all, you know, they're all Irish. So alcohol, come on. But even then, do they, do any of them really have like a drinking problem? Like, I don't no, think so. No more than anybody else does, which is everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, there's, and also you have to understand too, these people are working class people. They may not have the money for drugs. Uh, I don't know that crack cocaine had made it to Dublin by 1991. I'm not sure. I mean, there is that great reference to drugs in this movie where when he's auditioning people to be in the band, uh, a guy comes up and he and says, like, what are you? He says, oh, what do you play? And he says, well, I played football. And he's like, no, no. But what instrument? And he's like, oh, I don't play an instrument. I saw a bunch of people lined up and I thought you were selling drugs. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good line. <laughs> also, did you know there's an interesting cameo in this movie? And I, I looked it up because I was like, this guy has to be something because the scene was kind of weird but when he's auditioning people and there's a kid with a skateboard that shows up yeah um and and you know jimmy yells out oh well just start singing in the street then i'll start auditioning right now and he's like well i can't do i can't sing in the street and of course jimmy sends him away and he's like okay thanks that kid um has a little bit of fame um that kid's name is peter rowan and he is um at the time of the movie's production, he had appeared on the cover art of two U2 albums, okay. um, Boy and War, and he was also a national skating champion. Oh, that explains why he goes away on a skateboard. Yeah, I thought that oh, was I thought that was kind of cool. I wonder if that's the movie's like uh, cute little nod to like having this kid who I'm assuming if he was on the cover of two U2 albums, people knew his face at that at yeah, that time. It must have. It must yeah. have to some extent. There was what I thought was a cameo in this movie, but it wasn't, I don't think. Okay. Uh, at, at the very beginning, I, I, I swore up and down that at the beginning of this movie, at the wedding, you see an old man who tells a kid to fuck off. And <laughs> I was convinced. I was convinced that was Peter Vaughn, who uh, we will remember from Zulu Dawn, but also from Game of Thrones. Uh, but I looked it up, and, and unless it was an uncredited cameo, it is not him. 
the old man who, by the way, at the wedding at the beginning of the film, uh, sticks his has his legs stuck out. The kid trips over it, and then he wakes up and tells him to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll 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 say this to you right now. Did you know that um, the Joey the Lips Fagan was originally going to be played by Van Morrison? Oh really? Wow. How do you think then, that would have turned out? I don't think that would have been as good. Yeah, well. With a recognizable mo- face like that. The movie wouldn't have got finished because they all would have gotten sick. <laughs> well, apparently Van Morrison met with uh, Alan Parker and they did not have a very um, friendly meeting. They didn't get along super well. But Van he Morrison, wasn't he wasn't trying to draw that out of him. He wasn't trying to see how aggressive he would be. No, not for Joey the Lips. <laughs> that would be a weird. Uh, that would be a weird character meeting. But apparently Van Morrison was like, "Listen, I don't think this is for me. But if you want to use any of my songs, feel free." And mm-hmm. I don't think he does. No, I don't think Van Morrison he... doesn't sing soul music. No, I don't believe there's a scene where Joey the Lips is like brown eyed girl. I played with Van Morrison. I did. <laughs> I liked. Uh, I like when the dude with the fiddle came in and he started playing the fiddle, and then all the girls in the house started doing like Irish step dancing. <laughs> oh, for the audition scene, yeah, yeah, yeah it made me laugh. <laughs> um, apparently, Alan Parker even said when he went to go audition people, he would stop. So they would be traveling down the streets of Dublin. He would stop and see kids busking, and he would stop kids busking. And call them into audition. Like that's how much he want. That's how much realism he was going after. Mm. Um, because he and he also wanted musicians that were very very talented. Because he wanted them so talented that they could pretend to be bad at yeah. the beginning of the film, and you know gradually show that they're improving. So it's a, again, it's a difficult thing to do when you're when you're a talented musician. Although I will say there is a big jump in quality from the very first time we hear the backup singers sing to the very next time they sing. They go from just sounding like a bunch of regular people trying to sing to like backup singers in one it's scene. <laughs> I do think that, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the challenge of a movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, you know, it's, it's and, and you, you could sit there and like write it and film it so that it was a much more subtler transition. But what would really be gained? Nothing other than me going, oh, that was really cool. <laughs> We talked about the father being obsessed with Elvis. I do want to play um, a scene of him singing Elvis because this for me is like you put this you put this song in a movie and I'm in. I'm 100 percent in. Let's just, let's just play this brief bit. Listen, Jimmy, I have more things to be doing than ironing shorts for you every day of the week. There's more people in the house, you know. Hey, what's this? What's what? Have you got soul? If so, the world's hardest working band is looking for you. Contact Jay Rabbit. Rednecks and Southsiders need not apply. Hardest working band. Was that someone about it? Here, where are you going? You haven't finished your dinner. Out. Can I borrow your hair tie? Go and shush. I leave my aftershave alone. Who was that at the door? Some snotty nosed young fellow with a mouth organ. You put an ad in the paper. I'm putting a band together. Do you need a singer? Wise men say. Only fools rush in. But I can help falling in love with you like the river flows. Elvis is not so. Elvis is God. I never pictured God with a fat gut in the course of singing my way at Caesar's Palace. Jesus, don't upset your father. Love that. Um, Yeah, no, any movie that features a song Only Fools Rush In, like, I mean, The Conjuring... 
I think it was like the conjuring one or two. There's a scene where Patrick Wilson just sits down and starts singing it to these kids. And I'm like, five star movie. Isn't there a whole movie called only fools rush in? Oh, fools rush in with Matthew Perry. Yeah, sure. That's the <laughs> one. Like say a romantic I, comedy. Can't say I've seen it, but if that song's <laughs> in the movie, it could be five stars. <laughs> okay. So we need to talk about the ending of this movie. Cause the ending of this movie, they're, they're building up their fame. They're, you know, they're getting these gigs. They're doing very well. Uh, Jimmy does have a run in with a black market, <laughs> black market salesman who uh, is coming after the rest of his money because doesn't he buy like a piano from him or something? I think he buys a bunch of equipment from. Uh, yeah, you know, I, my my assumption is that this guy is a fence that he buy that he you know, yes. buys stolen equipment and sells it to, to other people. So he he is trying to get a hold of the stuff they need to be a band, and he kind of gives them fifty pounds up front and then fronts them the rest. Right. And then apparently and then to get his drums, he to get drums, he uh, he gives like an antique that his mother owns <laughs> to like as like collateral, which he clearly yeah. has never paid off. Um, but no, when he when he yeah, he so he gets he goes through that. The guy shows up at the club and like attacks him and takes like most of his money. And then, of course, Mecca attacks him and takes the money back. It's all very crazy. But the ending of the movie is Wilson Pickett is coming to town. And mm. this is one of the guys who Joey the Lips Fagan has said, oh, I played with Wilson Pickett. Oh, yes, yes. Can you get Wilson to come jam with us? Oh, of course I can. I could talk to him. And, of course, you're watching. You're like, okay, you know what? It's, you know where this is going, right? Yeah. And, and of course, and, and that's further, uh, a further kind of inflamed when he goes to the hotel with Jimmy. And he's like, no, I got to go in by myself. He, yeah. he doesn't want to see anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Joey yeah. the Lips is like, you know. We we have a bit of a a bit of a a bit of a interesting relationship. Like I really need to go talk to him by myself. There's some stuff we need to work out. And Jimmy is like, "All right, man, I'm sold. Whatever. Nobody else believes it, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt." He goes out, and I think is one of the darkest but funniest scenes is he goes out to get this reporter who is yeah. at the moment reporting on a horse that's been yeah. shot in the middle of like a like a crazy like gunfight or something well it was it was a bank robbery and, and the right. horse got caught in the crossfire it opens with like this horse corpse and then you see this reporter like taking notes and you're like where is this going um and then he's like yeah come report on our show like wilson pickett's gonna be there he's gonna come jam with us and because he says to the guy he says wait i thought you did music reviews uh, uh and he goes <laughs> not covering horse accidents and he's like yeah i do that a crime music whatever else you know <laughs> whatever's available right mm. it's like everyone else in this town they take the job that's that's there at the ready that's right um but yeah it's, so the, so the big thing is they're building up to this performance where wilson pickett is going to show up of course he doesn't show up no and deco um kind of uh slags jimmy on stage by saying you know our manager fucked up so we're just going to sing one of wilson pickett's songs and they start singing um, Midnight, Midnight Hour. Hour. Yep. Rousing Hour. rendition of that song. Great song. Oh, it's great. The performances in this movie, the musical performances are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, what I think is really interesting, too, just before that scene, is the band is having this vicious fight with each other. Like, the three girls hate each other because they all slept with Joey, the lips. Um, yeah. Everybody hates Deco because he's, he's talking <laughs> about joining another band. People are just people are just knocking it along, and then as soon as they go on stage, it's like that fake stage persona of like, yeah, we're together, and that was so, that rang so true to me because I've seen that happen in wrestling, Jason. I've seen yeah, no, tag team partners fucking hate each other backstage, go out there and look like poetry in motion. 
and that's and that's you know and, and that is reflective of a uh, true professionalism in a person that they can put aside their you know differences and go out and and wrestle or do whatever and i mean i mean certainly the most classic example of that was uh sean michaels and bret hart that really didn't like each other at all legit and still managed to go out and put on you know some of the greatest wrestling matches of all time yeah exactly exactly so, I mean, they go out there and they're performing and they do the Wilson Pickett song. And then they, the, the, the dark ending of this movie is they get Jimmy gets them a record deal. And yeah. you're like, oh, wow, this is going to end with them getting a record deal. Like, that seems like a really upbeat kind of out of the norm ending for this type of movie. Certainly in 1991, uh, uh, with 2021 eyes, the idea of a band taking a record deal, I'm get, I'm left with the idea that, ooh, oh no, they're going to be dragged through the system and ground up and spit out, and they're not going to have anything to show for it. Ooh, but in 1991, if you wanted to be, you know, a famous musician, that's what you had to do if you wanted to well, I mean, get music out there. Yeah, and I mean, if this record deal was coming 35 minutes into the movie, I would totally be like, oh, no, this is not going to end well. But at this point, yes. I'm like, OK, we're almost done at this point. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be an uplifting ending. It was like just the- like Wayne's World. Mr. Big shows up and he sees the show <laughs> and they give him the record deal. But then the band just explodes. And literally people hate into fire. Everybody <laughs> hates everyone. Uh, I mean, Mika li- legit literally headbutts. Deco and causes him to bleed and hits him with a garbage can, um, like, which there, also there's leads a good to... chance. Sorry, I was gonna say there's just there's a good chance that if we didn't have like kind of the wrap up at the end of the movie, we could have assumed that Deco had died because <laughs> he yeah. just beats the fuck out of him. He beats the fuck out of Deco, and then the best moment is after he's recovering and some girl is checking on him and saying, "Oh, are you okay? Oh, yeah, thank you. Oh, can I have your autograph?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like immediately after she finds out he's okay, but. So Jimmy is like, well, he's never going to give us this deal now. Fuck everyone. And he leaves. And then as he's leaving, Jason, a limo passes by and he says, hey, this guy says, hey, do you know where the club is at? He's like, uh, yeah, it's over there, but it's closed down. He says, the guy turns over and says, well, Mr. Pickett, do you just want to turn around? And they turn around. So Wilson Pickett was going to go to the club. Now, mm-hmm. my question is, Jason, my question is, I have a yes. theory about this. Because sure. you could say, you could say, oh, Joey the Lips was right all along. And mm-hmm. he actually was going to get Wilson Pickett. But do you think that's the case? Or my theory is that this band had gone, gotten enough local fame that Wilson Pickett may have just heard of them while he was in town. It's certainly possible. I mean, um, I, I feel like at that point, that is put there to maybe put you back on the side that Joey is legit. But then at the end of the movie, when we kind of figure out what is going on, we are told that he sent a postcard to his mother, that he was on tour with a, a, a specific artist whose name I don't remember. Joe Tex, Joe, who had died in 1982. 1982, nine years before this movie takes place. Yes. So yeah. we don't right? know, man. We don't yeah, know. No. He's just that good a flim flam artist, I guess. I love that because that throws the whole thing into like confusion. Like, Oh wait, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that was just a coincidence. Right. Who could have um, imagined Brendan, who could have imagined in their wildest dreams that the religious guy would be a scammer. <laughs> right. Oh, he is religious too. He's got that bent to him too. Doesn't he? He's got the cross earrings. He's on a mission yeah. from God. Well, I do like, <laughs> thank you. Nice. Dan Aykroyd. Thank um, you. I do like how he says to, um, 
I think maybe you mentioned it earlier, but he's like, oh, I've, I received a message from God that you boys were in trouble. And when I say God, I mean the pastor over in Harlem. <laughs> yeah. Although, interestingly, Brendan, and here's an interesting detail that I noticed uh, uh, that lends some credence to his story, or okay. it lends credence to the theory that he's a complete psycho when it comes to the details of his grift. Um, he's wearing a T-shirt, and you don't see the whole T-shirt because he's wearing a vest over it. But if you look close, the T-shirt he's wearing says Jesse Jackson, 88. Jesse Jackson ran for president for the Democratic nomination in 1988. Obviously, it was a big uh, uh, a big deal in the black community. And that's yeah. the T-shirt he's wearing, which says, like, OK, he may have been in Harlem and gotten that T-shirt. You know, it makes sense. You know, he said yeah. he was in the U.S. for a few years and whatever else. So that's a weird little detail that, that contributes, I think, to the uh, to the argument that he is legit. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I don't know where you where you would have gotten a T-shirt like that in England or not in England, in Ireland. Excuse yeah. me. I think he was in America. I do believe that he was in America. I yeah. do believe that. Now, what he did in America is up for debate. I I, I do Very think I, that that T-shirt detail is interesting. I never even yeah. noticed that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think like I, and again, I'll I'll say this again. I think his performance, uh, Johnny Murphy, is maybe my favorite in the entire film, next to. Uh, Andrew Strong as Deco Cuff. I think they're two of the most interesting characters in this movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But Oh, one thing I just wanted to note about the actual performances. So I don't know if you noticed this, but when they're doing like when they're showing like the live performances, they they feel a lot more live, I think, than mm. most movies. Because like in most movies, you know, you have the ADR over them and it, it feels a little a little more fabricated. And yeah. the, what they did with this is they actually used out-of-phase speakers, mm-hmm. um, which kind of enabled them to play pre-recorded tracks at maximum volume. And because of that, it kind of created this live performance atmosphere. And then each song was then recorded onto a 24-track recorder. Okay. So they went the extra mile to like they still had they still did the thing you know where they're pre-recording the tracks and and playing them quote unquote playing them in front of a live audience but then going that extra step to kind of make it sound more genuine. Yeah, because if you're getting a recording of the sound coming through the speakers, it's definitely going to sound more real than if it were just like a direct audio track onto the film. Yeah, exactly, and it, yeah, it has that it has that real feel. Another example um, of a modern movie like that where they actually did record like live. And and take a, that recording as the Star is Born. The oh, Bradley okay. Cooper, Bradley Cooper say, version. I think they might have done that with Les Mis as well. That that's y- yes, I think that's true. I think they actually did take the audio directly from the set. Um, but here's the crazy thing. So you know, there's a lot of big songs in this movie, a lot of big popular mm. songs. Sure, so yeah. they basically had to make Alan. <laughs> they basically told Alan Parker, "You're going to have to make a short list of a thousand song choices because wow. we can't get them all." No. And from those 1,000 choices, he um, narrowed, had to narrow down his choices to 75 songs. And then the finished movie features 68 different musical cues and 52 wow. songs. That's crazy. 24 songs were chosen by the director to be performed by the cast. Hmm. Started a lot of music. 1,000, Jason. Yeah. Um, well, you got to do what you got to do to save money. That's right. Well, I mean, I think um, at this point, do you want to just take a little break and collect your bits and bobs? I will do that. Okay. Well, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to hear from some Age of Radio sponsors, and we will be right back. Age of Radio.
Bitter Bobs, it's tough for Bitter Bobs, it's Jason's Bitter Bobs, so listen to his Bitter Bobs. Listen to them now, and if you don't, you're going to end up in a casket, you fucking don't. All right. Here we go. Bits and Bobs. Right out of the gate, this movie has energy, Brendan. And I like it. I like the music right off the bat. I like that it literally starts with the line, I want to tell you a story. I think that's the perfect way to start every movie. Um, This movie shot in the 4-3 aspect ratio. I think that was called Academy Flat at one time or something like that. Academy Standard or I don't know. But uh, old TV shape. And uh, it was a little bit jarring at first. It's been a while since I've watched the movie at 4-3, but it was nice. It was nice. Did you also notice Uh, that this starts off with the most irresponsible mass gathering? Yes, certainly. Uh, uh, flea market. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. Guys, so come people. on. Wear a mask. I, I, I forgot about flea markets. I love flea markets. And this was at a time when flea markets were still cool because the internet didn't exist, so nobody knew what they had, so you could get really good deals and fuck people over. Yep. Ah, those are the days. Uh, at the wedding, dude's playing the guitar, and he's using the beer glass as a slide. I like that. That's a nice little... Oh, yeah, that was a good detail. Good little detail and what I'm sure many bar guitarists have done in, in their lives. Uh, some some uh, some more fat shaming in this movie when, of course, the little chubby girl is the one that is stuffing her face with dessert. Couldn't be a skinny kid stuffing her face. No, it's got to be a little fatty, of course. Are, are you t- are you saying that Alan Parker was a Lavender Hill mob fan? That's right. I'm saying he was. He, he was inspired directly. And this this fat shaming will not continue under my watch. Oh, oh there's a there's a great line here where someone says they're talking about band names. And I think yeah. it's Glenn Hansard who says, well, that band free beer always gets a lot. A great crowd. <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. <laughs> um, at one point, somebody's singing a song in the pub and they say the line that sounded like from Westeros, which is from Game of Thrones to Nova Scotia. Uh, that was not what he said. I guess he says from Wester Ross to Nova Scotia, but I just heard the name Nova Scotia. So it made me happy because that's where I'm yeah. from. So, so uh, Jason, I've got a question. If David Schwimmer was in game of Thrones, what character would he play? Oh, Wester Ross. Hey, we were on a break, right? That's <laughs> Ross, right? Sure. I didn't watch a whole lot of friends. He was very sad. And as it turns out, as we watch friends in retrospect, definitely the worst person. <laughs> It was really funny at the time, and it's still funny now, but for different reasons. Yeah, not a good human being, and also kind of homophobic. Yeah, yeah, I, but that was the 90s for you, right? There you go. Uh, let's see. That cool bike riding scene through the neighborhood is kind of um, indicative to me of how cool this movie looks. Like, I love all the buildings. I love the setting, shots of Dublin. Like, it, it the texture is really good, uh, and you get a real sense of the place. The good montages. Good montages. Very good montages. I, I uh, like that one guy who we didn't talk about all of the characters, but the one guy who's playing the I think he's playing the he's playing the yeah he's playing the saxophone. Um, and he stops and looks at a bunch of kids around gathered around. He says, "I'm black and I'm proud." Yes. And and the yes. kid gives him a look like the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah funny in 91 maybe less funny now but still uh, I, mean, kind of I mean i i think the movie is aware that it's a ridiculous line to say very ridiculous for sure yeah. there's no question um so he gets a massive response to that newspaper ad mm. like, like there must be so little going on in north dublin that he puts I mean, a little ad in the paper to start a band and everybody comes to, he's literally got to line out the door at one point of people wanting to audition for this band People, people all uh, crowded on the stairs. Yeah, and I can't imagine he had any promise of actual money in this situation. So they're all there just because they want to be in a band. Did you, did you, 
<laughs> Did you like uh, Billy, the drummer, when he's asked about his influences, he says it's Animal from the Muppets? Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned that because that's what I thought that um, Micah was basically was Animal from the Muppets in human yeah. form. <laughs> You're probably not wrong. You're not wrong. Oh, when he then the saxophone guy, when he shows up to audition, he's talking about the saxophone. He's always oh, played long. He goes, oh, no, I haven't had the saxophone long. My uncle gave it to me when his lung collapsed. Yes. And then he says, and I have, uh, oh, it's not him, but there's another character. Oh, it's the drummer that says, I can practice all the time because my dad is dead and all my brothers are younger. So no one tells me to fuck off. Yep. <laughs> it's a, by uh, the way, this is this movie is a hard R. <laughs> there's yes, a lot sure. of. A lot they of say fuck like over a hundred times. I think Bernie might say it the most, uh, and and every time she says it, I was absolutely tickled. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, so we also have that recurring bit where Jimmy is interviewing himself. We first see him yes. doing it in, the, I think, in the very beginning of the movie. Yes, maybe? and he keeps saying Terry, and I don't remember who this was, but Terry something is like a famous interviewer in in uh, in the UK Ireland? at the time. Okay, all right, yeah. Makes sense. Um. Let's see. Uh, I, I I just really like this shot when he when, when he goes in to see I think Deco for the first time and he walks through this bus wash because Deco's on lunch from his job as a bus conductor and I just really like the framing of it. It was just a really cool as he just walks through the bus wash. It's a tiny thing, resonated with me. I don't know. I also uh, like the um, the fence saying that why would you even bother playing music? Everything is shite since Roy Orbison died. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, okay. I, I feel you. That was a sad time. <laughs> Uh, yeah. when, when Joey shows up, uh, the Lord sent me and the Lord blows my trumpet, which I thought was a funny line. Um, <laughs> and so, and then Jimmy no, is talking to his, oh, as I say, also Jason, what does he tell the other, what does he tell the saxophonist to pretend, um, when you're playing the saxophone? Yeah. yeah he says, <laughs> I'm glad you remembered that. Cause I was going to mention that okay. he tells him to, to pretend it's a nipple of a lady. And, and then he's like, okay. And he's like, well, who's your lady? He's like, well, it's this girl across the street that I kind of have a crush on, but she's still in school. So I feel bad about it. Ah! Ah! <laughs> and so he's, he settles on Kim Basinger. Did he say that? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't miss yeah. that completely. I, I think that was who he said. Kim Basinger. Oh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how he plays the saxophone. And that adds a whole other layer to that. Uh, oh, and so when when Jimmy's talking to his dad about uh, about Joey, he's like, "Well, who's that guy?" And he's like, "God sent him." And he looks at him for a second. He goes, "On a fucking Suzuki." <laughs> Great line. There's Great so line. many. There's so many funny lines, like one-liners yeah. in this movie. It's good. Um, How about the twins? The twin sisters of of Jimmy, played by real twins, which of course have to both say the exact same thing at the exact same time because they're clearly creepy ghost twins. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Somebody saw The Shining and thought, mm, let's do that. Let's make that a comedy. That's right. Uh, Soul can solve the troubles, I wrote down, because I think they seem to think that their music can possibly stop the troubles, so that's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, I hope so. I'm holding out for them. Okay, uh, well, I mean, all right. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I haven't got to 1998 yet. Um, <laughs> in, your, in your chronological news reading? I, I started Wikipedia uh, at the earliest year available, and we're going through year by year. <laughs> Let's see here. Um, oh, when they go into the church and dudes playing whiter shade of pale on the organ, I thought that was good. And then of course they get caught by the priest and they're, they were like, Oh no. And he's like, Oh yeah, no, I like that song. That's good. Uh, sounds good. Yeah. It's a weird line. <laughs> or, and then, then that goes when the guy goes into the confession and he's talking about something and he says something about a song and the priest corrects him on who sang the song. He's like, yeah, cause I own the album. <laughs> yeah. He says, he says something like, and I've listened to uh, uh, something by, 
uh, when a man loves a woman by Marvin Gaye and the priest is like, actually it's Percy Sledge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I own the album. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see. Uh, I will say, I, I'm going to say right now in, in, in the tradition of me being uh, a fucking person who easily cries at movies, there was a moment in this movie and it was when they sang dark end of the street. For some reason that just got me. I don't know what it was. Oh, well, Jimmy Pardo over here crying his eyes out. You know guy. what part I'm talking about, right? I'm not sure. Refresh like me. the dark end of the street. Okay. 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 Yeah, well, he in the same way. When when he said when Deco says I'm gonna play something a little uh, slower for all my fans. <laughs> right, because they make fun of him for saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> His fans. Oh yeah, he's a he's a prick. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, when they do that gig at the anti-drug uh uh. Yeah thing and they have the banner that says heroin kills but they spell heroin with an e with an e and so, then they put, so like they, a lady hero <laughs> what, what, do they, what do they do they like blanket out after yeah they like cover it up you can still see it but it's covered up so <laughs> yeah. and, and i love how the priest is like i, I like the addition of the needle though yeah <laughs> exactly the needle's a good dutch he's <laughs> such a wonderful wonderfully diplomatic priest uh a pair of y fronts gets tossed on stage uh we know him here in North America as briefs, but I thought it appropriate to use the British term, uh, which I thought was funny. Uh, they blow the stage up uh, at one point when it was a Deco catches the mic on the guitar yeah, or something. He, and then he falls yeah, back and then, and then there's an explosion and he comes oh, into okay. the hospital and he's completely fucking covered in blood. Like, it's pretty gory. <laughs> so so just just before we go any further, I know we played a few clips, but I do want to play a clip right here. When, now that you mentioned it, because yeah. after this whole explosion, they're waiting in the hospital to see if he's going to be OK, um, the guitarist. And uh, they 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 have this little discussion, which I thought was pretty funny. If Derek dies, will he be famous? What are you talking about? It's a sure way to get famous. Die on a stage, get shot in a motel, we'd sell millions of records. I still don't understand what happened. You have to keep the juice from the amps and the mic separate. Derek was the earth there for a minute. Isn't that how the guy from ACDC died? No, he choked in his own vomit. Started your man from free, didn't he? Yeah, lots of them. Mm. Yeah. Keith Moon. Jimi Hendrix. Brian Jones. Nah, he drowned. Did he? Yeah. Oh. Mama Cass. That was vomit. 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 I all I could think of Brendan watching that scene was from Spinal Tap when they're you know he choked on vomit it was not his vomit it was vomit I mean we, we may never know I mean you, you can't you can't dust for vomit can you <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the few references to dr- like it's one of the again the few references to drugs because drugs yeah. don't really play a factor in this movie I guess that in the heroin kills thing yeah yeah, yeah, because they say, oh, and then, of course, they you get the band hating Deco because they're like, well, maybe Deco will ch- choke on his own vomit. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Drummer, the drummer quit because he rightfully hated the singer. I already said that. Um, I love Micah, the security guard slash drummer, all the way through. His headbutts were super brutal, and he did a lot of damage every time he did it. Um, when, he, when he fucks up that fence at the end of the movie, though, I thought, hmm, this isn't going to be good. And then we never see we never see that come back around to bite Jimmy. So I assume that if in uh, the snapper or the van, Jimmy gets murdered by this guy. I don't uh, think any of the other characters come back um, mm-hmm. aside from Cole Meany. But I do like that Jimmy, uh, Jimmy and Natalie end up hooking up. We hear yes. about that in the, in the voiceover. Good for them. Yeah. Very happy. And 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 Mika gets a is the lead singer of a successful band apparently. Hmm. 
have to be like a punk band, I imagine. Well, yeah. Do you remember that? And it's like the whole like, uh, where are these characters yeah. now montage? Yeah, the animal, the animal house ending. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. Make, make sure uh, when you go to Universal Studios, ask for Babs. Is what they say. Yeah. And that's pretty much all I have there for notes uh, that I haven't already talked about. Uh, all right. This has been Jason's bits and Bob's and or Bob's. Bob's. Well, Jason, I'm going to tell you this. We'll get to the, we're going to get to the awards here that this thing garners up. Um, it doesn't win an Oscar, but it is nominated for one Oscar. Oh, very nice. You want to take adventure as to what it gets nominated for? Best soundtrack. No. Best sound design. No. Uh, best screenplay. No. Adapted. Oh. Best, best cinematography. No. Best editing. It gets nominated for which I. I'll I'll say I'll say right now I think deservedly so because I think the opening especially the opening when they're cutting between songs and yeah. they're cutting in like the middle of different songs back and forth like that's done extremely well um, but the winner that year for editing probably rightfully so uh, was JFK oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I mean yeah um, it it does win a few BAFTAs it is nominated also for a few BAFTAs so the ones it doesn't win but is nominated for and this is a cool one um, it's nominated for best supporting actor for Andrew Strong who plays Deco um, mm. but the winner that year is Alan Rickman for Robin Hood Prince of Thieves nice um, it is also nominated for best sound which is won by Terminator 2 and it wins here we go Jason these are the big ones that it wins at the BAFTAs Best Editing, Best Adapted mm. Screenplay, Best Director for Alan Parker, and Best Overall Film. Mm. This film was the highest grossing film in Ireland of all time, despite it not doing super well in the U.S. In the U.S., um, so the movie cost between 12 and $15 million. It only ended up getting about $14.9 million, so not amazing. Mm. Um, however, it did receive mostly positive reviews. Um, even the author of the book, Roddy Doyle, uh, said that the filmmakers did a terrific job, which is very refreshing to hear yeah. um, the original <laughs> author uh, liking an adaptation of their work. I suppose um, it was probably helpful, too, that he helped write the script uh, and must have been involved in some meaningful way rather than just having his name put there. Yeah, I think he w- I think he helped produce it for sure. Um, Variety magazine said the movie was well executed and original. Um, uh, Roger Ebert said the film was filled with life and energy and the music is honest. However, Siskel did not care for it as much. Gene said it was a joyful, but empty mixture of Irish kids and black American soul music. Hmm. Um, Owen Gleiberman of the entertainment weekly was even more harsh saying the overall premise was downright insulting and said, in Parker's hands, soul music becomes little more than a self-serving metaphor, an easy symbol for commitment and integrity. Um, and then, you know, we there, there's some there's some negative reviews here as well. Uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times says the commitments becomes repetitive after a while, since so much of it is about the group stage show, and since the effort to create an offstage story never really works. Um, David Denby said it has a raspy surface authenticity and a great deal of affection for its characters and milieu, but not enough dramatic interest. Hmm. So there's very mixed reviews of the time. However, since that time it has been hailed as a favorite and um, one of the, uh, I think it's pretty much across the board, one of the best Irish films of all time. 
So wow. I will ask you this, Jason. Sure. What'd you think? I enjoyed this movie. I, I did. Um, I'm, I, I, if this movie didn't have as much music in it, uh, it probably could stand to be shorter. But uh, I think the, the music is good and it really keeps the flow going through this movie. Like there's never too long between music. So that really kind of keeps the, the flow of, as I say, the flow of the movie going. And I enjoyed it. Uh, I w- would I say it's my favorite musical uh, movie like this ever made? No. Um, I might even say I like a hard day's night a little more, but, uh, uh, this, yeah, no, I enjoyed it very much and you can't argue the music is fantastic and everybody's very good in the movie and, uh, with lots of characters to enjoy. So yeah, no, it's definitely worth a watch. I, I do recommend it. So, so better than Rockstar. I never did see, actually see Rockstar. It's oh, just more of a punchline in my mind. So. You don't need to. <laughs> no, I didn't think so. I'm a sucker for a music heavy film. And yeah. this was definitely one of those. And it was great music, soul music. Oh, yeah. I love soul music. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the performances all feel real. Uh, that's the thing about this movie. Like, it's a, obviously a very Hollywood-esque movie, but the, the performances feel genuine. Everybody feels like they're portraying a character. It probably helps that these are not, like, major actors. Mm. Um, that probably helps the authenticity of the whole thing. And, and that the whole enterprise sort of fails at the end. Gives yeah. it a, like a rock, almost a Rocky like quality where, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, shit, it didn't work out, but what a ride it was, you know, it didn't work out. And we get that montage of like where everyone went after the movie and not everyone achieves fame. And some people are do better than others. And, you know, I, and there's that great quote at the end of the movie where Jimmy looks in the mirror and said, and starts quoting, uh, that, that, uh, what is that song? Um, Whiter Shade of Pale, right? Yeah. I think he starts so, yeah. quoting Whiter Shade of Pale. He's like, it's something to light, Fandango, um, whatever that line is. And then he has Terry say, oh, what does that mean, Jimmy? That's very profound. And he says, the fuck if I know, Terry. And that's the last <laughs> line of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just very charming that the movie ends with like, I don't know what it all means. Fuck it. Nice, nice punch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I, yeah, no, I know. And it's 38 on the list and maybe that's a little bit higher than I would put it, but I think it deserves its place on this list just because if it's, it, it's, it's entertainment value alone. I was never bored for sure. No, not and, and it, it, it's got this status as this great piece of Irish filmmaking. Like it's just, it's got this legendary label on it. So yes, I, I loved this movie. I loved this movie. Good. I'm glad. But now, but now comes the time. Jason and I are remote right now, so we have we you know we're uh, we have to get creative here. But uh, we're going to quote unquote roll the dice. Jason, what have what have you got for a dice there? Well, I typed virtual dice into Google, and Google has a virtual dice tool, so that's what I'm going to use. Okay, so Jason is going to use a virtual dice, and we yeah. are going to find out. Um, what movie on the BFI Top 100 that we are going to talk about next week by way of a virtual dice roll. So, Jason, if you will, roll that dice. Here we go. 27. 27 is Dr. Zhivago. We've already done Dr. Zhivago. That was our first episode. We watched it, and we watched a remake. We don't need to do it again. Here we go, number two. Okay. Number two, 86. 86. We have done Genevieve. It was a fun right. little movie. That wasn't too bad. Yeah, fun little car car picture. All right, here we go again. And we have... Oh, uh, 18. 18. We have already done Henry V. 
Mm, one more time. Here we go. <laughs> I don't 98. know about that. 98. 98. Okay, Jason, we're going to stay in the 90s here. All right. 98. We're going to watch a film from 1995 directed Ooh. by uh, <laughs> Gillies? Gillies McKinnon. Um, and it okay. is a movie called Small Faces. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't there's know. A song, there's a song by Oysterhead called Little Faces, so I wonder if it's related. I don't know. I know absolutely nothing about this movie. Me neither. Small Faces. We're going to talk about it next week. God damn, Jason. 98, you were so close to picking Carry On <laughs> off the Kyber. I know. I was. Oh, I know. I was so close. Fucking blew it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about next week. Um, but until then, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. And Country. You can find us at our home base at Age of Radio, ageofradio.org slash For Screen and Country. Or just go to ageofradio.org and uh, check us out that way and listen to some other podcasts. There's some great people on there. And uh, you can find Jason on Twitter. You can follow me at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Come by, follow me. It would be so nice to see myself getting followed by somebody who wasn't a porn bot. Uh, so that'd be that'd be really cool. I got two more, so I wonder if there's like a new porn bot tech because it's been a long time since a porn bot had followed me, but now two of them did. So been a while since porn while. bots followed Jason. They don't want to follow me, and I feel sad. Well, you know what, Jason? Maybe you just need to form a band. That's right. That's right. I can't sing, so I'm gonna have to be the manager. You have to be the Jimmy of the group. That's right. Let's call me <laughs> so, Jimmy John. <laughs> uh, and, and, and yeah, until next week when we talk about the film Small Faces, um, I guess I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screening country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Try a little tenderness. Oh, yeah. Try it. In games that never amount. More than they're meant Will play themselves out Take this sinking boat And port it home We've still got time Raise Oh.